the guiding principle that I've always followed, whether it was working in the for-profit sector or now nonprofit organization. And it's simply this, that funds flow to good ideas presented in a compelling way by a trusted source. Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, alongside Associate Dean Phil Powell. As you know, our show's mission is to help organizations make better business decisions, especially in this tough time with the coronavirus. So what does that mean for you? Well, that means we are going to work hard to make sure that you get the up, most up-to-date resources for your leadership, for your organizations, and tips and tricks so that way you can use all the knowledge available to help your business grow and for you to become a better leader. So if you have a question that you're wrestling with as an organizational leader, if you'd like to ask some of our faculty some questions, or you simply know of a great guest for our show, send us an email to ROIPod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at I-U-P-U-I.edu. Okay, so in organizations as whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're in the education, uh, nonprofit sector, or you're in public service, Raising and obtaining capital is a top priority if you want to get a great start or you want to get that next venture going. So that's going to be our show's topic today is how do you gain the capital you need and how do you not only find the right people to align yourself with, but how do you even have those conversations? How do you start those conversations? How What strategy do you put into making sure that both visions line up so that both people feel like they got something out of this? Joining us today is the CEO and president of the IU Foundation, Dan Smith. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Matt, it's great to be here. And, and uh, Dean, Phil, thank you for, uh, for inviting me. It's always an honor. So let's start with this concept. I mean, we have, uh, it's a scary thing to ask people for money, ask organizations for money. I mean, maybe there are some people who are just naturally gifted and just are good at, at raising capital. But for myself, and I'm sure a lot of other leaders, this is a this is a topic that can be tough. It can be stressful. You know, when do you ask? How do you ask? And um, so before we get into all that, I would love to get to know you a little bit, you know, and, and how you uh, kind of approach things. Like what's your philosophy when it comes to, um, you know, raising f- funds and finding those right people? Sure. No, that's a great question to get started on. I think, you know, one of the first things that, and, and I guess the guiding principle that I've always followed, whether it was working in the for-profit sector or now, you know, in the fundraising side of, of a nonprofit organization, is, is a real simple principle that everybody should be able to just write down and post it above their desk and follow it. And it's simply this, that funds flow, or resources, if you will, flow to good ideas presented in a compelling way by a trusted source. And we can unpack that as we go through our conversation, but uh, I I think that that's really the key thing. It begins with an idea. You had mentioned that sometimes raising money or even if you're in the for-profit area, going to a bank or going to investors is kind of scary. You have to start out recognizing that people are in, in the 
financial areas, whether it's a philanthropist that wants to, to give money or, uh, or whether it's a bank or investors in your organization, your idea, generally you find that people are looking for ways to help. You know, and in the case of a bank, they're in the business of selling you money. They want to lend you money. Um, but you've got to come to the, the table with the right ideas and presented well, and you have to have credibility. And the same I've found uh, with fundraising in the nonprofit sector with the university in particular is that a lot of donors, uh, and I, I should preface this, by the way, I was terrified when I got into this. When I was first dean, when, when Phil and I worked together back when I had that role, um, it, it was not something that I was comfortable with. And it took me a long time to finally realize there are a lot of people out there that want to help. They want to help the university. It gives them great psychic gratification. There's, there's always got to be a benefit in it for the person who's giving you the money. In the for-profit sector, it might be a return on their investment, apropos for the show's title. Um, but in the nonprofit sector, we find a lot of donors that, that want to... Um, want to, you know, support the university for a, for a variety of reasons. And maybe we can get into that. I don't want to uh, preempt any of your questions coming up. I, uh, but, you know, I guess that's it is recognize people do want to step up and get involved with their resources. And I think that's an interesting point you make because I feel like for the nonprofit sector, you're you're not getting a actual physical return, you know, like you would with the for-profit. You know, you're going to get capital gains, you're going to get um, interest, maybe if it's a, if it's a, some sort of loan back. But in the nonprofit and even public sector, you're really kind of getting like a feeling or like a, a sense of you know doing something right um, or being a part of something bigger. So I think. Even more so, uh, a lot of these principles are going to have a lot more weight um, than than they would if it was just a for profit, you know, transaction. No, oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's interesting. But let's take this, Matt. You you you're hitting all the right ideas. Let's generalize this to both the for profit and non for profit sector for a moment. So everybody's looking to gain something out of it, and. We find, and I think a lot of nonprofits will find this, there are two donors out there. There's one group that is kind of a, a donor. They just want to help you. They appreciate what you're doing, and they'll give you, you know, a little bit of money to, to help you along your way. There's the other type of donor that's what we call a philanthropist. They are in this to make a difference in society. And Take the university, now we're, I'm gonna go back to that first principle, funds flow to good ideas presented in a compelling way by a trusted source. But let's deal with parts one and two, good ideas presented in a compelling way. Whether it's the for-profit or not-for-profit sector, you have to be able to have a good idea that's tailored to the interests of the person on the other side of the table. One of the biggest mistakes I see people make in business, and I'll stay with the nonprofit for a minute, is, is that the, the nonprofit leaders sit across the table and they are so wound up in their own head about the good they're doing. It could be changing the environment, uh, helping kids get through school on a, with scholarships, whatever it is, and they just show up and throw up. They just... 
they sit across the table and start talking about environmental change or talking about student debt and how serious it is and so forth. And you haven't really taken the time to understand what's the motivation of the person across the table from you so that you can kind of tailor the discussion a little bit. And that's true again in the, in the for-profit sector also. If you're talking to an investor, what's, what's their motivation for supporting your, your idea, let's say, your business proposition? In the university sector, for example, real good example, universities have pioneered and, and perfected talking to themselves about themselves. And I see a lot of business leaders doing that as well. So, but I really see it in the nonprofit sector. You should support us just because, you know, you should support the university for the glory of old IU and what we did for you when you were a student. And as opposed to saying, you know what, listening to the donors, some donors care deeply about student debt and student successes, let's say. And you listen to that and you, and you tailor a message, say, around a scholarship to help with student debt. But there are a lot of donors out there that, that don't quite know what they're firmly interested in, but they want to make a difference in the world. And for them, we might tailor that, same, that message around scholarships that, listen, you know, Matt, you're, you're creating the next nurses, the next doctors, the next entrepreneurs who help their communities grow. You're creating the next leaders in business and government. That's what you're doing when you give uh, funds for a scholarship. And we make it on that large, you know, that larger social economic impact level that a lot of donors hadn't thought about. Like, wow, I am making a difference to the world. And that's speaking in their language, not ours. Dan, uh, inspirational. And as someone who started in the fundraising area in my dean's role, it's, it's very helpful. And it's, it's congratulations on, on a great bicentennial campaign. Obviously, what we're hearing today has led to, is, has, has, is time-tested. And uh, one of the biggest things that most impressed me with the bicentennial campaign under your leadership was this Imagine campaign, sort of this Imagine message, yes. right? There was the Imagine magazine. Yes. And to me, this was quintessential Dan Smith. <laughs> and it's it's a living example of what you're talking about. So can you can you take us into the the genesis of the Imagine campaign for our listeners and how that fit into the bigger goals of the bicentennial campaign? Because we're talking about a campaign that's raised billions, billions with a B dollars. Yes, we, we just Phil, thank you. We you're you're being very kind. By the way, all glory goes to the donors. Um, we we just sort of. Um, Try to, like I said, bring a good message and and see what happens. But um, but thank you for the kind words. So um, the the Imagine magazine that we use as a major promotional idea, uh, and then the title, the 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 term or the the I guess you call it the brand of the campaign itself is called For All. But we use the Imagine theme throughout, and the notion of For All is that. Every gift matters. There's no such thing as a small gift. And Phil, you and I have been in higher ed for years. We've seen $200 change a life, you know, and we're, you know, we, we've seen it happen. We live in that world every day. 
there's lots of headline gifts, you know, uh, the 50, 60 million dollar, 30 million, 20 million, these eye-popping gifts that are unbelievable and we're, we're so grateful for them. But we've had almost 300,000, a little over 300,000 donors contribute to this campaign. And I think the way we did it is we, we reinforced the idea of every, every dollar matters and it can change the world, it can change lives. The Imagine idea um, we found to be very compelling for people. And, you know, that's, that gets back to that basic principle, good ideas presented in a compelling way, Phil. And we just found that people like to imagine. They like to imagine what impact they can have in the world. People are fundamentally good. And this really, um, this really caught hold. And we gave lots of examples of how, you know, support of all different levels. And this gets to the issue, that third point that I made about compelling, good ideas, compelling presentation, but by a trusted source. Well, people trust things and trust institutions if you can show them evidence. And, you know, as you know, both of you know, Indiana University changes lives every day. And we can parade out example after example after example of how philanthropic support makes a huge difference. And that's one of the things, Phil, that I'm finding that donors are looking for is show me the impact of my gift. And they want to imagine what impact they're going to have before they write the check. And we've been able to do that very effectively, I think, um, by showing concrete examples. And it's really worked out well. And so I want to I start moving into now the, the part where, okay, we're getting ready to um, interact with a potential donor, potential investor. We have a meeting set up. And now it's time for us to get into the pitching mode where we're going to pitch this, what you said, the good idea, and now we need to present it in a compelling way. So talk about uh, what strategy that you start to embrace as you prepare to sit down or before you sit down with an individual or an organization um, that helps you get ready to create a compelling presentation. Sure. Um, no, it's a, great, it's a great point. And I don't think this can be emphasized enough that there's no two organizations, there's no two investors, there's no two donors that are the same. And I know that's, that's a pretty cliched thing to say, but I go back to this thing of tailoring the message, knowing, knowing who you're sitting across the table from and knowing what their, their aspirations and motivations are. And generally, in the case of donors, philanthropists, we're not going to ask for money right out of the gate. We, we really do need to develop a relationship, some trust. A lot of these, uh, Matt, go on, a lot of these are these major gifts that come up are years in the making. Uh, they, you have to be patient, but it's, it's what I would call a deliberate patience. And a lot of it is just trying to understand each other Sometimes if you're trying to raise a lot of money, if somebody's able to do that and has indicated that they're interested, we and they haven't maybe supported the university much in the past, we're perfectly comfortable with relatively modest gifts, you know, and initially. And then you can prove to them how you steward that gift, how you steward their support, how you use their support, 
You might, if it's a scholarship, you might have them meet their students that they gave money to uh, and, and really create a bond with, with the university through the student that they're supporting. So there's a variety of techniques, but I guess the key principle is know who's across the table from you and, and what, their, what their dreams are. We often talk about life stories, and this is a metaphor that has really worked very, very well. And it goes something like this, that look, the university has been around a long time. It's a story in progress. It's a story of lives that have been changed for, for decades. And your life story across the table, I'm talking to a donor and I'll, I'll ask them to tell me about your life history. What were the big moments? What were the things? What do you hope to accomplish with your life and in your life story? And you can get them to start to see how when they give, and this is the, the punchline, if you will, Matt, that, uh, that has really worked very well, and it's sincere, it's not contrived, is that when you support a student or faculty, research, the university, you are sharing part of your life story. You are helping another person, students for your scholarships, let's say, write their life story. You become a co-author. Literally, you, your life stories now mingle, and you are a quiet, behind-the-scenes co-author with that student of their life story. It's almost like having a child, a stepchild. And this really resonates to a lot of people and for a lot of people. There are other folks who really are motivated just economically. They just don't want to see kids graduating with debt. They, they just see this as, as a problem for the whole economy, and they're willing to focus on that side. The reason I highlight that about student debt is these are two different types of motives. One wants to change society by, by helping young people uh, and, and co-authoring their life story. It's an emotional thing to them. Another person may be very clinical, very economic about it. And they say, you know what? I just think this is bad. When students graduate with debt, they can't, they postpone marriage, they postpone having children, they postpone buying houses and cars, and our economy is, is compromised by this. They're very clinical. And so now let's go back to the principle. When you're sitting across the table from someone, you really need to understand what approach you have to take in presenting your idea. Compelling, good ideas presented in a compelling way. So I want to highlight something you said because I think that's really important is this sense that this is not a one conversation, here comes the big check, move on to the next person. You know, as someone who worked in sales, I can say that I've heard a lot of no's, you know, when you're trying to pitch a product. And I'm sure in, in fundraising, you probably even hear more no's than you might even hear on a sales floor trying to sell something because there's... A lot of times in these transactions, there's no immediate return for the person who's, you know, fronting their capital or fronting the, uh, the, the cash to help out your cause or invest in your business. So I think 
a question that I have is with these expectations, how do you set healthy expectations, you know, even before you get into the conversation and what should those look like when you're dealing with donors or investors or any myriad of people who want to, you're trying to get money from? Sure. It's a, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, So I think, I think one of the key things I just, uh, was thinking about this as you were talking, of trying to understand, I mean, you're going to get no a lot, but it's patience, but it's also trying to understand in the conversation, not just why somebody is interested in giving, but why wouldn't they? And many times, so for example, one of the basic one of the most basic things, one of the most basic reasons is they don't think that their gift may be enough to make a difference. And we, we, we have examples to help them through that. The general principle here is understanding not only why somebody wants to give, but also how to get them over any kind of hurdles of, gosh, I don't know if now's the time, if I can afford it, if we can do this. Um, you know, so it, 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 there's both sides of it, the, helping them with the means to donate as well as um, understanding the, the motivation. Dan, building on that and bringing this more to what is the reality today, which is the economy in free fall, you and I were both at the Kelly School and leading things during the last, last time we've experienced this. Yeah. As we move into what will be, it'll be a different type of recession, but it will be painful at least for the next six to 12 months. What do you, what is your advice? How does, how does the ask strategy, how do you adapt that to now a trough in the economy where donors have suddenly lost 20, 30% of their asset, their equity value in their assets, or everybody's now sort of fearful and, and, and clammy. And they, the last thing they want to do is, you know, they're not thinking about a gift, but they might've been thinking about it ago a week ago. Well, right. For our listeners, whether they're looking to raise money for a nonprofit or even raising money for, for capital investment in a for-profit, given your experience, what's your advice as we move into these early, early days of what will be a painful 2020-2021? Oh, you know, we, as you might guess, that's about the topic of the hour, and and we're on the phone with with all my colleagues talking about this exact thing is how do we approach people? Do we approach them? And I think we're, we're looking at a two phase strategy, Phil. Um, phase one is let's first and foremost, get out and, and make sure that people, well, we can't get out face to face. So we're doing it over zoom right now, but one day we'll be able to do this in person. I'm sure we'll get back to some semblance of normalcy, but, um, we are now in the mode of saying thank you to people. Uh, we have all hands on deck, making phone calls, writing letters, and letting people know that we appreciate what they've done for the university. Your best source, so here's, here's a key point, again, a key principle, your best source of future giving is from prior givers who may have and probably have the means to do more but um, it's keeping close and keeping in touch with them. And we're not doing a lot of asking for money at the moment. We're just continuing to, 
to build those relationships. And that's what I mean. You have to be kind of patient, if you will. But phase two gets into thinking, because I, your point's dead on. I don't think people's you know, uh, 401ks or estate plans are going to recover right away. This was a pretty deep trough. And we will get it back, but it's not going to be tomorrow morning. And so one of the ways to do this, I think, is to think about estate giving, to think about, like I said, gifts of real estate, gifts of real property that, that don't cost the, the donor anything. They don't have to write a check today because people are very nervous. When you think about estate gifts, People are nervous about that. What if my estate doesn't recover? Well, that's okay. I mean, it's not okay. We want it to. But um, we often talk about a percentage of an estate gifted to the university as opposed to a dollar amount, and uh, some certain. So there's various ways to, to get to that point. But right now, I don't think I can emphasize it enough with, with our friends in the audience for this recording today that it's so important to not, you want to be there for your donors when the chips are down, not just when things are going well. And this is how you build trust also. I mean, that's that third component, good ideas, compelling story presented by a trusted source. We build trust with people, and that's the mode we're in right now at IU. Not that we didn't have trust, but we're continuing to build that trust and deepen those relationships by just calling people, seeing how they're doing, not asking for a dime right now. And a lot of times donors will let you know when they're ready to go again and, and start talking to you about doing something. But... Um, that, that's kind of how we're approaching it now, Phil. It's really patience. One more thing. If you switch over to the, the for-profit sector just for a moment, this is really important to realize. We, I was talking to somebody in the financial services market the other day, banker. They're having trouble selling money. You know, I mean, there's not, you know, housing, has, house sales have slowed down to a, a trickle construction is slowing down and so forth. So for those in the, in the audience here that may be hearing this, if you're an entrepreneur and you have good ideas and so forth, the risk may be a little bit higher, but recognize that banks don't make any money if their money's just sitting there. They've got to get it out into the community and, and get the gears turning. And Matt, to your first point, gee, it's kind of scary not just to ask for money, but to ask for it from a bank. A lot of people go into a bank or an investment institution to, to ask for funds. And you have to realize they have a vested interest in trying to give you the money or sell you the money. The sales price is the interest rate. Well, right now, interest rates are decent and demand is down. So they're sitting there trying to figure out you know, how to, how to help you. And so be confident would be my message when you go into uh, investment relationship with a bank or a financial institution, because they, they actually have a vested interest in trying to help you. Finally, as we begin to wrap up, you know, thank you for the amazing three principles of, you know, having a good idea presented in a, um, 
in a compelling way and by a trusted source. You know, I think those are huge takeaways uh, for our audience. So as you've worked your way through the presentations and, you know, you've had these ongoing meetings, trust is built. How do you close the deal? How do you bring it home? Because I think a lot of times, especially in sales, and I'm sure with giving, you know, there's yeah. that moment where you where the deal's got to be closed and there's a closing process. So how does that closing process look for you? Sure. Now, one of the, th- it's, 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 it's the, you know, I was going to say the hundred dollar question, but it's oftentimes the millions of dollar question. Um, you know, what we have taught our fundraisers and what somebody years ago taught me, it's called a soft ask. And the soft ask is simply this, Matt, you know, thank you so much for all the time you've given me and, you know, really appreciate it. Um, it seems like you're really kind of interested in, in doing something. Um, would you mind if I sent you a proposal to review? And generally, somebody will say, yeah, sure, I, I think I'm ready to look at a, a formal proposal. And you say, thank you. And just so that we don't embarrass each other, we've talked a little bit about the amount. So now you have a, approval to give them a proposal. You're not asking for anything, just we look at it. And the second piece is, well, just so you know, I don't embarrass myself or anybody here, are we thinking, Matt, are you thinking about you know, $50,000? You've talked about a scholarship, maybe 50,000, 50, you know, 500,000, 5 million, ha, 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 you laugh. And they say, you know what, maybe something in the X range. You know, show me something between 100 and 150. What would that do to help the university or help students? And then that's your green light to really put together a nice proposal you understand and it has to be custom tailored to that donor reflecting back on what you've learned from your con- personalized is the again the principle personalized but you don't sit there and say so will you give us $50,000 will you give us 100,000 it's not that that blunt it's would you consider a proposal well it's hard to say no you know sure i'll consider it i'll look at it And now you put it together really nice, make it personal, you know, tug at the heartstrings if that's the type of donor, talk about impact if that's the type of donor you're dealing with, tailor it to them, not a one size fits all. And generally good things happen. Dan Smith, just want to thank you so much for being our guest here on the ROI podcast. This was Dan Smith, the president and CEO of the IU Foundation. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, alongside Associate Dean Phil Powell, where our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.